0: Well, good morning church. Uh, Welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. I'm the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. For those of you joining us online, welcome. We're really glad. And if you're visiting, we're really glad for that as well. We are wrapping up a series today called, I didn't see that coming. Uh, And most of the time when you are in a kind of a series leading up to Easter, Easter is kind of the pinnacle of that moment, then you kind of move on from there to something different. Uh, but we felt like with this series, I didn't see that coming. It was it was kind of lent itself to continuing on in the series because uh, you didn't quite see that coming. And the truth of the matter is, is that this is exactly how things played out uh, for those who followed Christ, right? That it was, it was this continuation of what God was doing that they did not see coming. It was completely unexpected. In fact, that's what we've been talking about for the last month now is that this life of Jesus, this ministry of Jesus uh, was, was completely unexpected from his birth, his childhood, the way that he starts his ministry, the people that he chooses to surround himself with, the people that he chooses to eat with and, and fellowship with. Uh, and in fact, the way that he dies, all of those things lend itself to the idea of Nobody saw that coming. Today, we're going to pick up after the resurrection story. So if you have your Bible, we're going to jump in uh, kind of with with both feet today. And so here's the deal. I'm gonna, I'm just going to warn you in the in the front end of this message. This message has been working on me all week long. So I, you just need to strap in a little bit, right? And get those toes a little bit limber. I'm telling you, there's some stuff today that's going to be really challenging in your faith. And that's okay. It's, it's good to be challenged every once in a while. A while. Uh, Open up your Bible to to Acts chapter one. We're gonna start in chapter one, verse one. We're gonna read just a little section together and we're gonna break some stuff down from that, okay? Here's where it starts in Acts chapter one, starting in verse one. It says this, in my former book, now this is Luke. He's he's already written a gospel and he's gonna tell you what's in that in just a minute, but he's already written, written several things about the life and ministry of Jesus. Now he's going to begin to kind of narrate through uh, what the church does with the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In my former book, Theophilus, stop right there for just a moment. Who's Theophilus? Well, there's kind of a debate uh, really between theologians on who Theophilus is, if he is a person, an actual person named Theophilus, or if it's just a group of believers, because the name Theophilus really means beloved one of God. And so Luke might be writing to a beloved one of God or the beloved ones of God, but regardless on if he's writing to a specific person or a group of people, really what he's saying is those people who love God, here's the account. Here's the things that I've been a witness to. Here's the things that I've detailed for you. I wanted to write them down so you would know exactly what happened. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all uh, that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he's chosen. So what I wrote before was all about Jesus' life up until the time that he rose again. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Underline that, highlight that. What did he talk about for 40 days after he came back? We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, And they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives a Sabbath day walk into the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs, the room where they were staying, those presents, apparently they were taking role. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas who served as a guide to those who would arrest Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And the story goes on and and basically as they kind of conclude this thought, they they wind up filling this role of Judas who who wound up uh, betraying Jesus. And this is the start of the early church. This is where it all comes together. Jesus winds up coming together as as Luke accounts. And for a 40-day period, he he makes his presence known to them. and And then he leaves. And then it's theirs. And it's a crazy story. Because on the morning of the resurrection, think about this. The morning of the resurrection, there were no Christians. Zero. Now, there were people who loved Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There were people who who admired his teachings and held on to his teachings, but there was nobody who was going to say, you know what, I'm also willing to die for the cause. Because if they were going to die for the cause, they would have. But they left. And their hopes and their dreams left two. At the time of Jesus' death, there were zero believers. Forty days after his resurrection, Luke writes that Peter speaks to a group of 120 people, and they're all believers. Fifty days. Check this out. Fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus the day of Pentecost, there are now more than 3,000 believers in Christ. And then just a few short hundred years. I know a hundred years sounds like a long time, but it really goes quick, doesn't it? There's over a million believers in Jesus. In 313, when Constantine issued the edict uh, of Milan proclaiming the legalization of Christianity. So at the place where Jesus is crucified and all hope was lost in just a few short hundred years later, it's taking over Rome. It's taking over everywhere. And I think about this. I mean, it seems so crazy, right? That, that you would have a group of people huddled in a room and they're like, all right, our leader just left. Everybody just saw a public execution. And he said, start this thing in Jerusalem where all this went down. Who's in? Who's tired? Who feels a bit hopeless? Who feels overwhelmed? Who feels like not up to the task? Who feels like you have been educated properly? You kind of know all the questions. Like nobody's going to come and say, well, what do you think about? And then you're going to feel like, oh, well, I'm not really sure I know the answer. What kind of stock did you come from? And yet, the church continues to grow under some of the most difficult persecution in history. And I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, I think, why don't I see that anymore? Have you ever thought about that? Why don't I see that? Like, that's amazing. Can you imagine just for a moment, like, we have a service. There's, there's not quite 100 people in the room here today, but what well, we have a service? And the next week we're like, listen, we're going to come back and we're going to share the gospel. And there's going to be like 3,000 people who are like, I'm in. And here's what I already know. You're like, that would not happen. I don't, even, I don't even have to know what's going on in your mind to know. You're thinking like, I don't think that will happen. I don't think it's going to happen like that. And I wonder, I wonder if Peter and Andrew and James and John, and I wonder if Jesus' mom and his brothers kind of felt the same thing. Like, I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen. Or I wonder if while they were gathering together, they weren't as concerned about what they were going to do. They just rested in a God who could resurrect somebody from the dead. See, maybe the reason why we don't see God moving has nothing to do with God's power or desire, but our expectation of what God can still do. See, I believe God can still do amazing things through us. I'm going to say that again, and I kind of want it to permeate through everything you felt for a really long time. I believe God can still do amazing things through us today. Today. Like he can use your broken self, your broken family, your messed up past, your your lack of energy, your lack of hope, all those things. He can take all of that and still do amazing things through it. Maybe the issue is that we're not sure God still can. C.S. Lewis has a quote that kind of fits in line with that, and he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire, uh, our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are far too easily pleased. That there's a sense that that we kind of come complacent in our life. We come become complacent in our walk with God. We come come complacent in our Christianity, and we're like, that's good. I don't need to change anything. I have enough conviction in my life to know, like, I'm not going to go off the rails and kill somebody this week, although I might want to, right? And, and, and you know, I'm going to rein in my kind of road rage a little bit. I might flip them the bird, but I'm not going to, like, pull them over and punch them in the face, right? And so that's good. And... You know, I'll put, I'll put my shopping cart away when somebody's watching me, but not when somebody's not watching me. And that's pretty good. And I wonder if what, what really happens is we become so complacent in our faith that we get easily pleased with where we are in our walk with Jesus. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why we don't see God working in the same way that the early church did. Because listen, they, they far out believed, right, that Jesus was coming back in their time frame. And so they were waiting every day with, day, with bated breath to say, hey, listen, God's coming back and I don't, I don't have a lot of time, so I need to tell other people about him, The early followers in the beginning of Acts were no, they were nobody special. Nobody special. They had no specialized training. They had no, check this out, they had no Bible. I love when people are like, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm like, perfect. You fit in with all of the disciples. Not one of them owned a Bible. They didn't? No, they didn't. They didn't have one yet. What they knew was what God was doing in their life. They didn't have a Bible, they had no specialized training, they weren't particularly great at people skills, we find out, right? They're always wanting to smite and hurt people, uh, which sounds like church people to me, I don't know. But Acts chapter 1 does give insight into a couple of things that sets them apart. And I think these are huge, huge things. That should challenge us. The first thing, if you're taking notes at all, is that they had a faith that required obedience. They had a faith that required obedience. Now, how many of you love the word obedience? Just love it. You're like, sweet, bring on more. I need I need to follow more. That's great. I, I feel like in our in our era, obedience is like almost one of the words that is cringy, right? It's, it's one of those things you're like, Ooh, man, that sounds so like, old school or churchy or whatever, but it's, there's some truth to this, that their faith required an obedience. Go back and look at uh, verse nine uh, in in Acts chapter one, it says this, after he had said this, after he had given them some instruction, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from a sight and they were looking up intently in the sky uh, as he was going which I can imagine seemed like some kind of crazy magic trick, right? He's kind of floating up into this cloud and he disappears. And then they're like, and... Did any of you wait for that moment when you were baptized? You're like, man, this is like, this is me living again, right? Like, I'm going to be baptized, I'm going to come out of the water. And you're like, and... I kind of still struggle with the same stuff. This is awful. You know, like, I thought I would be better, but I'm not. I think that's what they were waiting for. I think they were like looking up intently being like, all right, when is it that I'm going to feel ready for this? And I think they would have died in that spot right there had not the next couple of sentences happened. Suddenly, right, they're just, they're standing there like, all right, we're we're waiting. We're waiting until we feel it. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? You've been doing that for like 15 minutes now. Did you forget what Jesus said? The same Jesus who's been taken into heaven will come back the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So get to work. And they're like, well, I was kind of waiting until I felt like I was prepared, but he kind of left and then... I don't feel any different. I don't feel more equipped. I don't feel more ready. I don't feel smarter. I don't feel stronger. And they say, go. And here's what's crazy. They know where to go. And I wondered if that's why they just kept looking. Remember what he said? Where where did he tell them to go first? Don't leave here until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Where did he say to go? Come on. Jerusalem, what happened in Jerusalem? That's where he died. That's where all the religious elite, right, are still amped up from this thing. That's where their lives are gonna be on the line. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like if you were gonna start a movement, that would be the last place on earth you'd want to try if you were one of the 12 disciples. So I think they're standing there away and be like, this was a joke, right? We're not starting there, right? And if we are, then like we need... Jesus, you gotta like you gotta somehow give us some of that superpower stuff that you like the walking away part and the walking through walls part and the otherwise this is gonna end real quick. And he not only says, I don't know if you caught this, but he says, You're gonna go to Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit, and then you're gonna go to Jerusalem and Judea, the part that split apart from you, and then Samaria the part that you don't like, and then everywhere else. And I wonder if Jesus' call still isn't the same today. Like what if if his call to make the church grow is to start where you're the most uncomfortable? And that's why we don't see it today. Because it's like, well, I don't mind showing up to church. And I, I, I don't like I, I I like, you know, I can get there kind of and kind of leave and go on my way. And the guy said, no, 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 If you want to impact the world, it starts with you being obedient when it ain't comfortable. I told you the seat belled in, right? Yeah. But this is the faith of the early church. And in fact, I would say this, if your faith journey doesn't convict you or require you to change, it is not God you are following. I'm going to say that one more time. And you let that sink in for just a moment. If your faith journey doesn't convict you, convict means that there's an area of you that didn't write yet. There's an area of you that needs refining. There's an area of you where where the, your pride, your 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 ego, your, the, the, the places in you, your anger, your self-centeredness, it still needs to be worked out a lot. And so there's gonna come a time when you're following God and He says, No, 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 no. You have to change this. But if you if you don't come to that place, it may not be God that you're following. And if it doesn't require you to change some stuff in your life, yeah, I recognize it's wrong. Yeah, I recognize it, but I don't have to change it. God just accepts. Man, listen, God loves you. He loves you to the end of this earth. He, He sent his only son for you, but he wants you to be holy like him. Listen, that's a hard truth to swallow. That's a hard truth to swallow, but it's true. And this is, what the, this is what the early church said, listen, we're going to be obedient even when it causes us to change some stuff, even when it causes us to go certain places and do certain things that we'd rather not do. We're going to be obedient because that's what our faith requires. Are you tracking with me today? Good. I want to make sure you're awake for this, all right? There we go. I'm telling you, it worked on me all week long, so here we go. Two, if you're taking notes, they had a passion that produced unity. They had a passion that produced unity. So you remember, he's there. He goes up in the sky. The angels come down. They're like, all right, put your jaw, you know, put your tongue back in, jaw up. Now it's time to move. And they move. It says they all returned to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and then the scripture goes on to say like, and they sat down, they were figuring out like, all right, programming wise, what does this church thing need to look like? Like, do we need to have like kids program and then teen program, young adult? What do we do with the singles? Is there a senior citizen ministry that we got going on? How do we incorporate buses? Does anybody know what a bus is? Like we, chariots, what can we do with chariots, Right. I know what we need. I know what we need. We are gonna need a vibrant worship team. We're gonna need an awesome band. It's gonna be killer. We're gonna need, we're gonna need a a handsome young preacher. (laughs) Yes. We're gonna need, man, we're gonna need, we're gonna need a really cool building. That's what we're gonna need. We're gonna need a really cool building. A place where, you know, you can come and we can build it bigger and bigger. That's not really what happened. Let me read it to you again. This is going to be slightly underwhelming for you. You ready? They all joined together constantly in prayer. End of story. Can I tell you <clears throat> what I think they discussed? I think while they, were, while they were praying and talking together, they talked about what Jesus talked about the last 40 days he was with them. Do you remember what that was? It was so important Luke wrote it down for you and I. What was it? It's not a museum. You could shout it out. What was it? Come on. He talks specifically about the kingdom of God. The last 40 days Jesus was with anybody, the thing he spoke about that they could write about was, he was here and he talked about the kingdom of God over and over and over again. You're like, great, what is that? Heaven? Not exactly. The kingdom of God is actually the, the most themed thing that's talked about in the New Testament, but the kingdom of God isn't just referring to heaven. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of humanity that is the kingdom of God. When God rules and reigns in my life, that is the kingdom of God. So it means that I serve and that I give because that's what God is doing through me. As he rules and reigns in my life, that I begin to look more like him. And so as they got together, they were like, hey, listen, hey, listen, I have a great idea. How about God reigns in me today? So that everything I do and everything I say and every interaction that I have, it's God shining through. I want God's rule and reign in my life. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want, I want God to live for me and I want Him to shine through me. So, how do I best do that? Well, let's pray for you and let's lift you up. Who's next? Well, listen, I'm struggling so much with just selfishness. I want this all, and I'm, I'm struggling with, with being scared because I don't know what to do. This whole thing feels like it's almost, let's pray with you and let's pray for you and let's build you up. See, I think that's a lot what this, this early part looks like in the, in the early church, where they came together and they had a passion that produced unity. See, I think when we get off of this idea of the rule and reign of God and the heart and life of us, it's easy to find disunity. It's easy to say, you know what? I didn't like that song too much. I bet you didn't. I don't like the songs you like. Well, I don't really care for the preaching. You know what? Sometimes I don't care for the preaching, right? Sometimes I'm like, what was that mess up there? What'd you do? I don't I really like that. You know, I don't like the kids program. Sometimes the kids program don't like you, right? <laughs> Let me ask you a different question. Are you willing to allow the rule and reign of Christ in your life? See, I think this is what the early church was wrestling through. They were like, you know, programs, programs we kind to get some programs, but what does it look like for my life to live like Christ? That's where it starts. Number three, they had a dependence. Ooh, they had a dependence that produced prayer. Folks, this scares me a little bit. Um, Sometimes I think churches have enough money in the bank that they don't really need to depend on God much anymore. And sometimes I think that trickles down to us followers of Christ. It's like we only, like we circle the wagon when things are real bad and out of our control, but once they feel in our control again, it's like, ah, when's the last time I prayed? I don't know, the last time somebody had cancer, that really mattered to me. I can tell you in 22 years of ministry, every time I ever did a prayer service, it was the least attended thing I ever did. And most of the time I didn't want to be there. And I think it's one of those areas in our life where we struggle with the most, right? It's it's interesting that Barna puts out something every year, kind of talks about like what do people see as a need in their spiritual walk and prayer is always right at the top. But here the early church is coming together. They're praying constantly. I think prayer for us can become an afterthought. It's a token it's what we do and we don't know what else to do and not a first resort. But for the early church, it was the thing they knew the best. It was the thing that Jesus taught them to go to first. It was a way to communicate with God and say, God, I need you to align my heart to be able to be softened enough that if you say, go here, I'll do it. And if you say, quit that, I will. And I won't even question you because I'm so in tune with you through prayer. See, I believe that there's no bigger disruptor to the discipline of prayer than comfortability. The more comfortable we become, the less dependent on prayer we are. Ben, if you'll come back up to the stage as we kind of close things out Today. The early church trusted that if Jesus could be resurrected, anything was possible for God. And that's why they left the room with the small gathering and went out into Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and did it again and again and again and again. And they gave their lives to this cause because they believed that anything was possible with God. And I have to tell you something. I still believe that today. I still believe that today. And my question is, do you? And if here's... If this is where you are, I want you to know it's okay. If you've given up, if there's a hope that you've given up, if there's a dream that you've given up, if there's a marriage that you feel like giving up, if there are children, or you feel like it's giving up a church, a community, a faith, I want you to know that through Christ, all things are possible. There's nothing outside of his reach. As crazy as it sounds in a room full of misfits, none of them educated and none of them feeling confident, they changed the world. Literally all of time stands still with, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we understand this? And God still can do it today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or we can go the, the other direction. We can live a life that's really comfortable and easy. But here's the, here's the issue with that. Comfortability in life can leave us comfortably numb to the gospel. When we become comfortable where we are, we become comfortable with this gospel message. And so we want to reach outside of that. Here's what I want you to do. If you have a, if you have a smartphone device or you're a pencil, paper person, take that out right now and write out in your, uh, in your phone, make a note, schedule the date, June 4th, 2022, coming up here pretty soon. We've been working with some of the city folks here in Goodlessville and uh, some businesses and even some other churches, kind of working on the back end of something. You've been hearing us talking about a place for good. We're going to do something called a day for good, starting off uh, where we get to serve our community and then celebrate together for lunch and a concert at City Hall. And I think it's gonna be really good. It's an opportunity to get out and share our faith, to serve, to do the things that we talk about doing, becoming like family, blessing our community and being more like Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. You're gonna hear more about that soon. But it's gonna push us outside of our comfort zone. And I pray that you're ready for that with us. Would you join me in prayer? God, we, we love you. And we are so thankful for you. God, we ask that you would do it again. That where it feels like there is no way, you would make a way. And when it feels like all hope is lost, God, you open up the realm of possibilities. And God, where things seem small and, and, and difficult and there's no hope, God, you are right there. Because God, we believe you can do it again. And we want to be a part of that. So God, help us to have a faith that produces obedience in us. That will change us where we need to be changed. That will convict us where we need to be convicted. God, help us to be unified around this idea of your kingdom. Your rule and your reign in our hearts and lives. It's not us anymore. And God, help us to be dependent on this prayer life, this communication life with you. That everything we do and everything we say centers around our relationship with you. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we